the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 34, recorded Tuesday, March 10th, 2015, around the world. This is EdTech, the uh, monthly, mostly monthly, view of the education uh, space for the audiovisual industry. Brought to you by the fine folks at Aviation. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Welcome. With us this month, as uh, has been the case for the last, uh, well, year or so, uh, Ernie Bailey uh, from uh, UAMS in beautiful Little Rock, Arkansas. How are you, sir? I'm doing just great, Tim. Ready for another exciting session. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know how exciting it is, but, you know. Uh, also with this, it can be. It, it can be. Is Mike Tomei, and Mike Tomei typically <laughs> has been a technology manager, but no longer. He is a consultant specializing in the uh, audiovisual, uh, the ed- education space with Tomei Consulting. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Yeah, a couple months ago, I uh, left my job at Ithaca College and decided I'm going to start my own consulting business. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit more in depth. But how's that working? It's working really well. Yeah, it, tons of tons of work so far. Um, lots of marketing, but I got uh, first client and uh, got over that hurdle, and um, have some other ones that I'm working on proposals for. So it's going really well. Sweet, very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about that. And he's got a he's got a very cool website, and and we'll get going. Uh, our buddy, uh, our buddy, uh, Mr. Uh, Greg Brown, who typically would be joining us. Um, yeah, he's apparently under the weather. <laughs> and I don't want to, to make fun because, oh, yes, I do. Because he's in California. He's in California for crying out loud. You know, the least he could do is suck up, you know, suck it up and, and get out in the 80 degree weather. But, you know, whatever. All right, let's let's chat for a few minutes. By the way, before before we also get started, I would like to say a very big thank you uh, to the number of uh, t- just tech managers in general, technology managers in general, who came up to us uh, at Integrated Systems Europe from England and from France. Uh, had a couple from the Netherlands, uh, from Germany, from from uh, actually honestly a, a good swath of, of Europe. Uh, had a couple from the Middle East, um, from Jordan, uh, as well as. Uh, Israel and some other places in the Middle East uh, to say that they listen. So thank you for listening and and, and welcome. Uh, I d- I'm not sure if they if they listen live or not, uh, or if they just download it. So uh, had some really good conversations, um, and I've written about it a little bit. But uh, you know they, they're tech managers, right? So they deal with the same the same stuff that that you guys do, or, um, uh, and uh, have the same challenges. So uh, it was it was a good conversation. So it's kind of neat the fact that you know. Somebody more than my wife is listening, so that's that's always a good I think. Uh, all right, uh, from our buddies out in California, way uh, interesting piece from Extron. Not their first audio piece by any stretch of the imagination. It's called the Net PA five hundred two. Not and I'm not going to bore you with all the what the different numbers and nomenclatures mean. Here's the the ditty though. It's a Dante piece, right? Um, and one of the guys that, that helps us out a lot with, with Aviation, his name is Josh Rago. He's a Dante expert. Talked a lot about, he's taught a lot uh, over the years about Dante. Uh, Mike, when it comes to audio infrastructure, how big of a deal is getting 
for education specifically, how big of a deal is is getting Dante or Cobernet um, or AVB audio um, on the network and make it available in classrooms, in lecture halls, things of that nature? I So probably not so much in the classrooms um, that I've used it or similar technology, but in um, administrative buildings or other buildings on campus where we have more of a you know distributed sound system, that sort of thing. Um, that I could I could see this being really useful. Um, you know, when I'm uh, when I was at Ithaca College, they the uh, health center wanted to put in distributed sound through multiple floors, and uh, it was a really old building, <clears throat> horrible cable path, and um, would have been great to use something like this. Okay, so it's basically you know for more you know getting it out there to the uh, the uh, I almost said principals. Good lord, the president and. <laughs> Um, or the chancellors and what have you. Um, Ernie, from your standpoint, is this, you know, does getting Dante or, or, you know, again, any sort of networking uh, audio make sense for you guys? Uh, It's starting to. Uh, We're looking at updating our uh, big high-profile space, the space used for the chancellor to make his state of the campus address or for major press conferences or... Uh, when the governor has something to mention about healthcare, he comes to our campus to do it. Uh, so we have one large uh, lecture hall auditorium uh, where we do that. And as we're updating it, we're finding that it's going to be, uh, we're going to end up using probably all the different audio platforms at some point or another, uh, you know, using Cobernet, using AVB, using uh, Dante. Uh, to uh, move move audio signals from area to area, as opposed to running you know multiple lines or big snakes or uh, anything like that, uh, as well as making uh, processing uh, connections a little bit easier. Uh, you know, just t- tying things together. Uh, so it's it's new to us, but. Uh, I see it as growing, and probably as we upgrade additional lecture halls, auditoriums, uh, special event spaces, uh, we will uh, look at item or you know products like this. I'm always curious about when we when I start talking to folks about networking audio. How did you guys settle on Dante? Um, or maybe I shouldn't be that presumptuous. Uh, have you settled on Dante, or is it just the fact that you're using Dante? Currently, and it might be one of those cases where eventually you might go to Cobranet or, or AVB. Well, actually, we've got some AVB and Cobranet. This will be our first uh, foray into Dante, uh, but just some of the devices uh, that we're using uh, have Dante built in, and uh, adding a Dante card to a couple of other devices uh, allows us to uh, bring all the signals in a lot simpler. Uh, make makes things, you know, like I said, makes hookup a lot easier, uh, cleaner signal paths. Uh, so, like I said, we haven't settled on it. And uh, as I said, in the, the auditorium we're looking at doing right now, uh, we're gonna uh, our audio network will be a combination of the, the all three of those platforms. Okay, Mike, I is think, it? Go ahead, Mike. Oh. I was going to say, I think event spaces on campuses will really benefit from it. Um, 
at campuses are always looking for overflow uh, to other rooms for events and um, being able to put that into the event spaces will really be useful. Classrooms, maybe not as much unless they're using those for events also. Right. So, yep. Well, and there's also that there's, and, and this is my perception, I guess, of, of Dante or other networking audio devices. There's also a place, isn't there, Mike, for mass notification or emergency notification because you can have one, one, one origination point, right? And then send that out all over Dante or over some other, some other networking protocol. Yeah, exactly. Not having to um, pull uh, additional cable between buildings or between rooms and having that flexibility as long as you're on your network and have everything configured correctly that you can, you can go that route. Uh, All right. So the question I was going to ask you then is, is there benefits, I guess, is there a benefit to settling on or, or going, putting all your eggs in, in one networking basket when it comes to networking audio? That's for you, Mike. Uh, yeah, I guess um, depends on, you know, the manufacturers that you're relying a lot on. Um, if they're adopting it, uh, you know, seems like Dante is pretty widely accepted with some big manufacturers these days. Um, so that, that seems like a safe bet. Um, going with some newer technology, right? You're going to put all your eggs in one basket, and if it doesn't get adopted by others, you're, you're stuck with that piece of gear that you have in that rack. So. I, I wouldn't know what sort of technology you're talking about. In any way. <laughs> I, have a, I have a stack of mini discs right over here, by the way, in case you're wondering. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a mini disc player. <laughs> Those were awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, I loved it. Yeah. You could edit right there and name it. Yeah. And so. yeah. Sorry. All right. Uh, <laughs> from uh, from the land of Gizmodo, if you don't know what Gizmodo is, it's a pretty cool little uh, technology uh, blog. Uh, the Panasonic 4K Blu-ray player could make discs matter again. Uh, now this came uh, by way, honestly, um, from uh, from the way, from CES, but it is a 4K. Blu-ray player. Let me say that part again. Is a 4K Blu-ray player. Okay. I don't know that it's it's it would make discs viable again. That's what you two smart people are for. So Ernie, um, you just did a, a, a good decent size upgrade, right? With between three uh, lecture halls. Right. Um, those projectors, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Those are not 4K compa com uh, compatible, are they? The bar uh, no, no, they're not. Not okay. yet. So your next step, or maybe two years down the road, may be to, to upgrade to something that's capable of reproducing 4K. From where you stand and where your team stands, is physical media still uh, still an, a, a um, not an issue? But are you still needing to make uh, make concessions for having physical media? And if so. Does having something that physic that plays a physical media for 4K make sense? Uh, well, as you mentioned, those three lecture halls that we just upgraded, uh, there really is no provision for physical media like that. Uh, I mean, we have HDMI ports we can connect things in, so if someone brought something, we could bring a device in, but we did not actually build in uh, any type of disc player or anything like that. Uh, we're most of what we're doing we are doing online or you know we'll get we, we may download it so we're not having to 
stream it live from somewhere else. Uh, but as far as physical media, I don't see that. Uh, maybe you know, maybe some special special events type deals where someone needs to record something on a disc and bring it to us. Uh, but as far as a 4K player to meet the basic needs of the classroom, no, I do not see that. Right. Uh, Mr. Tomei, from your standpoint, does uh, does this make a whole lot of sense, or does it make um, I'm not gonna say does it make 4K more uh, relevant? Because, like Ernie said, a lot of a lot of education uh, places are simply getting rid of physical media players, whether that's you know. Uh, God forbid, still a VHS player or some sort of um, HD uh, disc player. Does it make a whole lot of sense, though, to, to start looking to put these in, in line? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not a big fan of physical media anymore. With streaming technology these days the way it is, um, you can rely on it pretty well in, in classrooms. or um, it all, uh, Like everything these days, it all comes down to bandwidth, okay. um, available bandwidth. So... Um, if somebody at home uh, doesn't have the bandwidth, then they're not going to have a chance of getting 4K video streaming uh, into their house. Um, if you're dealing with a network, enterprise-level network that might be faster um, network speed, then you can rely on streaming technology for 4K. Um, and I, I think it's going to be, I don't know, we put a lot of um, Blu-ray players in classrooms and didn't get a lot of use. Um, just people did not bring in Blu-ray discs, and exactly. probably going to be the same thing with 4K Blu-ray. And I, it's going to be really expensive in the beginning. I know that. Um, and you know, the article talked about how um, for 4K Blu-ray, it's not a firmware or software update for your Blu-ray player. It's a new piece of hardware mm-hmm. with a faster yeah. processor that can handle it. So, um, to for people to justify buying a new piece of hardware, I don't think it's going to happen. People are probably going to um, wait on faster network bandwidth and rely on streaming devices. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm going to pick on you too because Ernie's, Ernie, Ernie's, Ernie's agreeing with you in the background and you got, you're saying that they're not being used. Um, yeah. Here's a loaded question and we're going to start with, with Ernie because I know the answer to it. Ernie, how, how, are you t- how can you sit there and tell me in, in, your, in your nice office that my, the Blu-ray players that I'm putting in, that, that your nice faculty aren't using them? Uh, we use monitoring software there we go. <laughs> uh, to, to see what's being used to track the usage of the different devices. Uh, and, you know, if I, I get zero hits on my uh, media players. So, so it, uh, Mike, from, from that standpoint, is Ernie gets zero, right? Yeah. Um, as a consultant and as someone who goes into, you know, a meeting with, somebody like Ernie um, and the people that, that um, pay for this and, and maybe even um, the dean of the college, right? Yep. Uh, who the yep. dean is there to represent the actual faculty who are telling uh, that, that dean that, yes, I need you know a Blu-ray player. Um, Ernie gets zero hits. That's an easy one, right? Yeah, yeah. You guys don't use it. Here's the software, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, AMXs or Crestrons or whoever else you're using. I'm a big fan of, of monitoring software. That's why I asked any the question. Right. But does one hit make a, make sense? Does two hits? Where is that? Where is that line? Zero is easy, right? Zero is, zero is kind of kind of simple. You don't use it. Yeah. Yeah. But if you use it once a semester, twice a semester, where is that line for you? 
Yeah, the so usually it's the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? Um, so it's that one instructor that really makes a stink, and it's it, it's usually the one that wants the VHS player. They just will not oh, release geez. those VHS tapes, and they've got to have it. And yeah. if they're teaching in a room, then all rooms need to have it in case they happen to go into a room and need it. Um, so that that's the scenario that I've dealt with many times. And um, yeah, with the monitoring software, it's great. You can show them the numbers, um, but that won't help that one instructor that wants it. Um, we had a little portable setup um, with uh, a Blu-ray player or a VHS player, depending on what they needed, that we could throw into a room for that those two times a semester that they needed to use it. And um, that made them happy um, and then made others happy because we weren't wasting money putting one in every single classroom just to collect dust. Right. Anytime we take uh, any type of technology out of the classrooms, we keep one or two on a shelf that we can uh, put in a classroom. If necessary, keep those until we've gone probably a couple of years without using it. Uh, and at that point, then we, we would get rid of it. I will say that uh, we have a multi-purpose space that we put in two years ago. Uh, we actually put in two Blu-ray players. Uh, one is actually a little mobile cart that can be rolled around the room and can actually be rolled elsewhere. Uh, we're adding a Dante card to it so it can be used in this new large lecture hall. Hmm. Back up a little bit. Uh, but um, the Blu-ray player in that system still has the uh, movie, the Blu-ray movie, that the AV integrator used to test it. They left the movie in the machine, and it's still in there. Yeah. And once it, you know, once a quarter or so, we test that room. We play that video and watch the same little scene every time. <laughs> make sure we got good audio and video in case somebody wants to use it. But we have yet to take that disc out of the machine. The integrator yeah. hasn't asked for it back. So well, there you go. Right. Yeah. So so this brings up an interesting point, and 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 Mike, you know, raised the the, the squeaky wheel. Um. When I was an when I was a, a tech manager, we had a, a couple of folks, and and we started the conversation. Good lord, five or six years ago now, trying to get rid of of the uh, what I call the dreaded VHS player, right? Uh, and when I left a year and a half ago, we still had them, by the way. Uh, so to cut to the chase on that, there were a number of, of faculty who n said in in this conversation, not only could they not get the DVD copy of whatever, you know, uh, movie or, or, or piece of media they wanted to play, they couldn't get anything. They couldn't get a, a digital download. They couldn't get a DVD. They stopped making this particular film. They stopped making this particular, you know, VHS of, right. of this lecture. So the only way, quote, unquote, the only way they could get uh, this information and, you know, was to play it off of a tape, um, to which I started researching the the legal ramifications of a, an education institution taking that and making a digital copy, right? That mm -hmm. was an interesting process. Um, let me just say that every lawyer has their own interpretation of of the law. Uh, every every state um, and, and every education institution is going to have a different interpretation. Uh, we had we came up with an interpretation that said we could make a backup, so so our our legal team was comfortable with 
us as the the AV and the media guys, we made a, a digital backup, but still they played it off of VHS. Um, and the digital backup was there in case, you know, God forbid, the, the tapes finally snapped, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have yeah. you guys, I mean, obviously all you, you guys have been, you know, doing tech managers for a long time. Ernie, have you have you walked down this this path yet, or did you just say, you know what, carte blanche? Sorry, you know, there's no more VHSs. We have, and we've actually helped write letters to copyright holders, asking for permission to do it, uh, with the understanding we would not destroy or get rid of the original uh, media. You know, we would the VHS tape would sit on the shelf, and we would not distribute or release the digital recording. Most of the copyright holders, if it was not available in a different format, were okay with that. Some weren't, and you know what uh, our fac- some of our faculty ended up doing was looking for other sources of the same information. You know, maybe not the same actual recording, but something that would give them what they needed to teach the students or Maybe they would determine that it wasn't relevant to be taught anymore. Um, so, you know, those were the paths we took. We did honor the copyright holder's instructions. Yeah. Uh, we worked through our legal office. But, uh, I mean, that's pretty much the way you have to do it. Mike, you've had uh, two, uh, I'm not going to, you know, well, I would say two, you know, high-profile earnings is, is high-profile as well. I just worked for community college. Uh, but you worked, you worked for Harvard for crying out loud, right? Yeah. So you know, either Harvard's or, or Ethica's or maybe some of your clients. How how you, have you handled it in the past? Yeah. So the um, the idea that you brought up of a uh, backup copy um, was uh, pretty legit when we were just dumping it onto a DVD, and um, and that one instructor used that one DVD for their class, but. I think it gets a little hairy when it starts going up on a course website for streaming right. purposes, even when it's password protected, you know, for those students only. Once it gets up on some sort of streaming media, then it gets a little crazier. Um, I, going back to Harvard, I remember um, Alan Dershowitz was a professor at um, Harvard Law School, and he was one of OJ's lawyers. And um, once a year, I had to wheel a VHS player into the room for him when he would show his uh, Today Show um, uh, interview during the OJ uh, trial. He wanted to show his interview to his students. I had to wheel the VHS player in there, and I kept telling him every year, we can put this on a DVD for you. You know, It's your interview. You're the person on it. I think you you have the right to put it on a DVD and uh, show it to your students. But he didn't want to do it, just did not want to give up that, that VHS player. So he was one of our squeaky wheels, I guess he can say. Um, but uh, it wasn't like we were putting it up on his course website. We weren't going to be streaming it. So um, you can get opposition from everywhere. But I think it's the streaming that really gets gets hairy yeah. with the copyright laws. Yeah. And like you said, there's no clear-cut explanation, really. Everybody will give you a different opinion. Yeah. So. And, and when you say, just to clarify, when you say streaming, we're talking things like, uh, obviously, YouTube and Vimeo and uh, iTunes University. Are you also talking about things like Blackboard and and those types of con- of, of course content? Um, yeah, exactly. Systems? Yeah. So if um so if the instructor wants to put it up on their course website on an on an LMS, um, then you know all of a sudden even though you can password protect 
um, course websites and limit it to the students enrolled in that class, it's on some sort of streaming media then. It's not just one right. disc in the possession of one instructor. Okay. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Went back in my old radio days, I, I had the opportunity to interview Mr. Dershowitz, and I could definitely see him being the squeaky wheel. Yeah. <laughs> he was a nice guy, but he did not want to give up to that VHS about... tape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I told him that VHS tape's going to die someday. You know, you need this no. on a disc, but uh, yeah, he didn't want to give it up. Yeah. So I would wheel in the VHS player and hook it up for him once a semester. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Uh, from, from our buddy, Margo Dewahi, uh, who is a professor in her own right, but also uh, writes for AV, uh, uh, AV Technology. Not writes. She's the freaking editor. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. She's like the grand poobah. <laughs> Um, she, uh, she wrote an interesting piece, right? The, the, the title of the, of the piece is, this is how technology can undermine learning. Uh, and I wanted to get into a, a conversation. Um, she talks about, uh, video feedback that a lot of the students are asking for now. Um, and that depends on, you know, how you do it, whether it's an iPad or, or, uh, you know, a, a mobile recording device. I don't care what it is. Uh, something like this. I mean, we use Google Hangouts, uh, on, on a weekly basis and, you could, in theory, start your own blank hangout, right, and hit record or start broadcast, and, and, and it records straight to YouTube. And, you know, hey, Jimmy, you really stunk at this, and, you know, Ernie, you did well, and Mike, well, you know, do better next time type thing. <laughs> um, but also, um, when it comes to not just the technology, but also um, how this is affecting things like what they're calling the flip classroom. Um, if you're not familiar with what Flip Classroom is, we'll, we'll put a link on to a couple of people uh, who've written a little bit more extensively about it. But this is the idea that, you know, um, students, go students go home and watch or consume a lecture at home. And then when they get to the, um, to the class th the next day, they're actually doing the homework. So that's the whole idea of, of flipping it, right? So the lecture is done at home. And the homework is done in the class. Um, either of you feel free to correct me if I'm getting this screwed up. Uh, because, Ernie, we'll start with you on this because you've actually, you, you, uh, UAMS has put a number of these in. So how is this, this technology not only affecting the interaction with, with the students and the, and the teachers, but kind of how is it being accepted by, by the students? Well, as far as using the flipped classroom, the students that I've, I've seen and talked to are very excited about it. Uh, the faculty are excited about the way it works. Um, you know, where, like you said, they, they listen to the lecture beforehand. They, and, you know, we, we put them in small groups and they're in those groups for an entire school year. Okay. Um, you know, two semesters. So they have an accountability to the other, their five teammates because they are, their grading is done both individually and as a group. Uh, so that kind of forces them to participate and to do the prep, prep work, uh, which leads to better discussions in the classroom, I think, and a better understanding of what they need to know as they walk in. And uh, like I said, the students really prefer doing that than sitting through a three or four hour lecture on the subject. They you know, they watch, you know, the pertinent information the night before or a few days before. Then when they get to the classroom, they actually look at applying it. You know, we're a health science campus. They'll actually present patient cases. 
uh, and say, you know, based on what you learned, you know, what is the diagnosis or what is the best treatment plan we need to look at for this patient? Um, and it leads to good discussion uh, among the, the individuals in, on the teams and between multiple teams. Uh, as far as, you know, the video uh, response back from the instructor, uh, I think it needs to be a bit more polished uh, than what Margaret talks about. Uh, you know, she talks about all the ums and e's and whatever. Uh, I would want the instructor to spend time, you know, actually critiquing the paper, you know, uh, and give me very specifics back if I was the student. And I would like it to sound like it had been thought out before they hit the record button. Okay, I, I, I get that. But what about those folks who, God love them, they, they can't speak well to save their life? You know, I, I'm one of them. You know, I, I say um a lot. That, that's one of my crutch words or crutch phrases. So you've got an instructor. You've got Alan Dershowitz, well, right, who, who's not comfortable with, with recording technology. Uh, and they're going to say um and, and stuff a lot. Well, they may have some ums in there, but the way I read the article is, you know, the instructor may be recording while they're reading the paper. Oh, I got you. Okay. See, I didn't I, mean it like I want, that. Okay. I want it to be, I want them to read whatever the assignment was. You know, this sounds like it was a, an essay or a written assignment, and they're replacing their red marks with comments. I would rather them make the red marks and then use those as they go back and, you know, talk to me, not read a paragraph to talk about it, read a paragraph, to talk about it. But so, you know, our, you know, on your paper on page three, you should have done this. That makes sense. And that's probably also a lot more efficient and use of time too. I think so. And, you know, she talks about the instructors not wanting to invest the time in critiquing the paper, I think you're probably putting more time in doing it this way. Yeah, because they're, they're you know, the instructors are, are used to, you know, critiquing and grading right. a certain way. And, and what you're talking about, which makes a whole lot of sense now that I'm actually thinking about it and make, you know, I'm wrapping my brain around it. You're saying yeah. grade it first and then basically hit record. And then, and, then, and then hit the record button based on the notes you've taken. You know, it's not going to take you that much longer. It'll be, and your students will appreciate it. And you should see improvement in the student performance over the semester of the school year. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing it that way. Okay. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, Mike, from your standpoint, um, how do you think uh, the flipped classroom is, is being accepted by the students? Yeah. Uh, so it's such a popular concept these days. Um, I feel like every other week there's an article coming out contradicting the one from two weeks ago, saying one saying, oh, it's very effective. The other one says it's not effective at all. And I think it's, it depends so much on the instructors if they're changing their curriculum to teach that way. Um, I've seen some situations with these more uh, like active learning spaces or collaborative learning spaces where yeah. instructors go in there and lecture in those rooms. And, you, you know, they're not using the technology the way it was intended. They're not going to change their curriculum. Um, they've been teaching that same course for 10, 15 years, and, and that's the way it's going to be. And then you get nothing out of it. You have a really awkward room for a lecture where students are facing every which direction, and um, yeah. and they're just not using the technology properly. So um, I feel like this instructor is, is going down a good road, though. Um, 
I like the idea of it. I feel like the students are going to get more from those videos than they would if the instructor was to um, handwrite their comments on that paper. They're probably not going to write as in-depth as they would if they were to sit there for five minutes and just speak into a camera. Um, so I kind of like the idea of it. And, um, and I think students would really take to videos um, rather than reading. I mean, that's just the way it is, you know. And uh, I feel like they would really take to it. Um, you know, Margot is a writer um, for her profession, so she doesn't want to see the writing end of things die. Um, no, but, but she, she's also a, a former professor. Well, she's not former. She's also a, a professor in her own right, too. Yep. So she has that going for her, and, and she has that perspective. Yep. Um, yep. So I, I could see her doing both. Yeah. But I think instructors that really um, change their curriculum uh, to suit these active learning styles or, or flipped classrooms, um, I think it really benefits uh, the students when they do it. Um, it just takes a lot of time. You know, you might have to have a couple semesters of trial and error um, teaching teaching your classes with new methods, and some instructors just don't want to do that and and make the students you know suffer through their their learning curve too. So. Yeah, we were actually kind of forced into part of it through uh, accreditation hearings and changing the way we were teaching. Uh, which led led us to develop our first active learning center, and uh, we actually have a team that works within the active learning center during classes. And if we get someone comes in there and starts lecturing, their next time is going to be back in the old lecture hall, and they're not yeah. they're not going to get the nice space. Uh, so it's kind you know they kind of have two two directions forcing them. Uh, into into changing their teaching style, and uh, the teachers I think are, you know, now they're getting immediate feedback from the students on, you know, did they learn? They they know the students are preparing before they come to class because, like I said, they they have an accountability to each other, which most students take a lot more seriously than they do the accountability back to the instructor. Mm. Uh, so, and like I said, we, they're accountable for nine to ten months to that to their small group and uh they're you know all six must participate to get a good grade and they learn that and they all six must prepare before they come in or you know the the whole group's going to suffer yeah out of curiosity yeah. how do you um how do you manage that and and i guess determine if a if a instructor comes in and lectures in that space is there do you get feedback from students, or do you have somebody just feedback kind of from in? students? Okay. And we have generally have people observing. Okay, and, just uh, and we have we have people in there to assist with the active learning side of it in most of the classes. Uh, you know that they're actually that's their specialty, and they're in there. You know, it looks like they're just running mics around to different tables to get questions, but they're actually uh, helping coordinate all the functions of the active learning space. Uh, and they will report back to the to the scheduling people say you know uh this doctor doesn't need to be lecturing uh or doesn't need to be in the active learning center he needs to be in a lecture hall uh for for this semester anyway and that will take place yeah yeah campuses need a strong um, academic technology support group or yes. center for faculty excellence or whatever they're you know calling it um, well, we're using both uh, yeah. we, we use them separately so Yep. Yeah, if you don't have that kind of staff, then um, no one's going to 
work with the instructors and those rooms are just not going to be used the way they should right. be. And they're expensive. I mean, you can spend a lot of money in yes. these rooms on, on technology and then 90% of it's not being used. They're just using a projector right. and a screen <laughs> up in yeah. the front. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a, a nice thing when you walk in and you've spent however many tens of thousands of dollars on that. So, Yeah, you have a laptop input at every seat and a, <laughs> a flat panel at every table and none of them are being used. <laughs> right. It's just a, a projector. Yeah. Or, or or it could be worse, an overhead projector. So, Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, all right, guys. As we kind of wrap up here, and, and I, for some reason, I have gotten really horrible at screen sharing. So I'm still going to try because uh, I'm stubborn that way. Um, <laughs> oh. Does it say it? It, it is. There it is. Mike Tomei Consulting. TomeiAV.com. T-O-M-E-I dot A-V dot com. Um, real quickly, Mike, and, and not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, <laughs> what, what, uh, what transpired? How did, how did you go from being one day, uh, a technology manager the next day? You're like, Hey, let's do this thing. Yeah. So, uh, I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit, wanted to, um, run my own company, do my own thing. And, um, I, uh, got great experience from my previous jobs and decided you know what? Time to give it a try. Um, I uh, left on great terms from Ithaca. They were really supportive of me uh, starting my own business. And um, here in central New York, there's really a need for AV consulting. Um, most of the schools use AV consultants from New York City or Boston or even further away. Um, there just aren't a lot of AV consultants, uh, really, if any, in central and upstate New York. So I really saw a good market for it. Um, and I also, uh, so I have two separate types of services I provide. I provide what you would consider to be typical AV consultant services, which is uh, system design and project management for installations. So working with architects and schools uh, for construction projects. But I also um, do what I am calling AV management consulting. Um, so working with higher ed uh, or K through 12 AV support departments that um, really want to work on their strategy, structure, management, um, operations, and um, uh, maybe put together a strategic plan or some design and technical standards uh, for their campuses. Um, I feel like a lot of times these days AV departments kind of get, you know, stuffed into the corner of an IT department. And, um, you know, IT departments are foc focusing on some pretty big issues, not necessarily focusing on AV, and then all of a sudden uh, the AV support department is behind the times, um, haven't kept up with technology, don't have a life cycle replacement program in place, and um, they're just totally behind the eight ball. So, um, so my goal is to work with those types of departments and really get them up to speed and, and help them with, um, with their strategy and operations. Very so I, I think there's a little niche there, and, um, and it's already paying off. I just spoke to somebody yesterday from a community college that wants to write a strategic plan that is focused strictly on AV. It's not a IT strategic plan for the whole campus. It's just for their AV support. So um, I feel like there are schools that are looking for that sort of thing, and that's when I'll swoop right in. So, All right. And are, yeah. you, are you focusing, you know, typically or, or you know, mostly on, on the, the New York area there? 
Well, in the beginning here, um, upstate New York, central New York was my target area that um, I was really marketing to as far as uh, architects and all the, um, the schools. Uh, New York State has a great um, state school system, um, SUNY. So there are a lot of state schools. Um, so that was just my initial marketing, but really, um, you know, targeting um, the Northeast or um, anywhere in the United States, um, especially with the AV management consulting, that isn't something where I have to be on site as much as maybe um, system design and project management. So that can be really done more remotely. Um, so I'm pretty open to, uh, to any schools. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, very cool. Uh, real, real quickly, and I, and I didn't put this on your guys' list, and I apologize. I, I meant to, and there's not really a whole lot to say about it. But our, our buddy Greg Brown, who you know is is suffering in, in southern uh, southern uh, uh, California today, I'm sure it's 80 degrees or whatever, and you know he has the sniffles. Um, he uh, he spearheaded a, a project for Infocom called, and they uh, they wrote a nice white paper called the AVIT Infrastructure Guidelines for Higher Education. <clears throat> That is a mouthful. Uh, they they went on to document uh, the professional experience. Uh, the, they went on to document stuff like teaching space and technology, uh, infrastructure design, process, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, Greg Brown uh, was uh, was the head of that. Uh, he was actually the chair of that task force. So uh, if you go to infocom.org uh, and just type in AV uh, slash IT infrastructure, uh, that will take you to the document, and you can download it there uh, if you are a member of Infocom. So, all right, guys, uh, that's going to do it. Uh, Mr. Early Bailey from UAMS in Little Rock, thank you, sir. I'm glad to be here. Where can people find you? Uh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, uh, you can generally find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's a good place. Okay. Very good. And also Mike Tomei, obviously, from uh, Tomei AV Consulting. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. And where can people find you? Yep. So you mentioned it already, but uh, my website's address is T-O-M-E-I-A-V.com. And uh, you can find me there or find me on LinkedIn. You need a Twitter. What's your Twitter? I don't have Twitter at the moment. You yeah, need a Twitter, dude. Come on. I know. I know. Exactly. You've got so. the marketing. Ernie doesn't need a Twitter. Ernie, you know, you, you, you know, technology managers don't need Twitters. You need a Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. I do. Right. Uh, it's on my list, my it's huge list. to-do list. <laughs> Get a Twitter by by Infocom so you can be a part of the tweet up. So. Oh yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Not yeah, that you I can't come. Tweeted Infocom, but that's well, say <laughs> so you not that you can't come to the tweet up if you don't have a Twitter, but yeah, it's yeah, kind of the whole idea. Um, yeah, I do have a personal Twitter, Mike Tomei, and uh, right, I used it. I think when I went to Infocom, when I went to NAB, you know, yeah, whenever yeah. I'm at a conference, I feel like I should tweet. Yeah, and then uh, right. yeah. So all right, uh, don't don't uh, follow me, or you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. I guess is the best thing uh, for for the Innovad stuff. But uh, go by the website if you would please. A whole lot of people put a whole lot of work into this thing. Uh, least of all me. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, our buddy Josh Shrago. Uh, from soundreason.org is actually heading to, heading to NAB, speaking of conferences. Um, and he is going to try to get uh, five minutes with Chairman Wheeler about net neutrality and its impact on the AV community. So that's uh, that's coming up next month. Um, there is a, a brand new Live Life, a brand new uh, Pico uh, projector show, all sorts of new things. Obviously, this show, a new state of control coming down the pipeline in our weekly uh, wrap-up of AV News. 
uh, and information called AV Week. So, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been Ed Tech.